Bankless Nation, happy third week of October, or David, should I say October? We're talking all-time highs right now. This has been all-time high week. How are you doing? You got a big smile on your face. You must be happy. You're in your SpongeBob sweat sweater. High fashion Something, Fridays. Something's going right. High fashion Fridays. <laughs> this is going awesome. On. Yeah. There, gosh, there's so much, so many awesome things happened this week. Like you said, all-time highs for Bitcoin. We got the Bitcoin ETF as well. Lots to unpack there. Also, a DAO takes the mysterious, unreleased, famous Wu-Tang album from the cold hands of a hedge fund villain and is now making it accessible for the rest of the world. Uh, TBD on that as well. And also, DraftKings and Polygon, a $40 billion public co company now on Polygon. Whoa, that's pretty cool. So much Wait. to talk about. Yeah, we got some details on the Coinbase NFT platform as well. We're going to cover uh, so much going on, David. Hard to fit it in, but, you know, we manage somehow. Sometimes it's uh, it's an hour and a half. Sometimes it's two hours. We jam-pack this episode with everything that you need to know in crypto this week. Uh, so we'll attempt to do that once again. You think we're going to be successful? I mean, we're going to try and go real, real fast. So let's go ahead and get <laughs> right into it, Ryan. But first, we got some announcements. Want to take us through them? Uh, the first is Pool Together has just rolled out their V4. They wanted bankless audience to know about it. And um, this is like my number one. When somebody asks me, what's the first thing I should use in DeFi? I always refer to them to Pool Together. It's either Uniswap or, or pulled together. But I do this because this is a no-loss lottery, right? So they can't get angry at me if uh, they lose anything because they won't lose something by depositing their funds into pool together. You put USDC in, it's fun, easy to use user interface, just connect MetaMask, and boom, you're in a lotto where you can only win. There's, there's no loss in the principle. They generate the earnings based on prizes that are uh, pushed out to the platform and based on the yield the assets are uh, earning. So it's like a it's like a, another way to save. It's like a high interest lotto savings account actually. And their V4 has even more prizes. Also, it's whale proof. It's really friendly for the, the, the smaller minnows only depositing smaller amounts of money. Um, there's near zero transaction fees too, because the hack is you can now deposit into pool together using Polygon and not have to pay ETH gas fees, and they're launching with a million dollars in prizes. So uh, really cool to see this. Um, I've won the lotto before. I don't know if you've ever won the lotto and pulled together, but it's like a magic feeling. You go and you check, and you're like, oh my God, I won this week. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, if you ever wanted to check the box of winning the lottery, uh, pull together <laughs> might be the best way that you can add that to your Instagram bio or maybe your your Tinder Tinder bio. Just let, let, let the people know you that you won the lottery. That. You should not tell anyone you win the lottery <laughs> if you win the lottery, folks. <laughs> That's like, uh, yeah, it's a recipe for, um, you know, too many acquaintances calling you yeah. up and, and <laughs> wanting things. Anyway, guys, check that out. That's at bankless.cc slash pool together and jump in the pool with us. David, all right, all-time high week. You ready to get to markets? Let's absolutely do it. It is all-time high week for Bitcoin. We crossed the previous all-time high of $63,500, setting a new all-time high of $67,100, taking a little bit of a, a tumble back down to $63,200, but still broke the all-time highs. That's big, man. That's big. So the last previous all-time high, if I recall correctly, was sometime in April. April 13th, uh, like 191 April 13th. days ago. 
So Bitcoin uh, holders, like through this whole bull run, they've they've had to be very patient because they've watched all of these other assets pump since April. In particular, like we had this alt layer two, alt layer one summer. We had sort of a a DeFi 2.0 kind of resurgence as well. And Bitcoin holders, if you are a Bitcoin holder, you've been waiting patiently for this time to come. The big news was going to be the ETF, right? And here it is. It happened this week. And that's why we're seeing the Bitcoin pump. Does that explain all of this, David? I think that a broader question that I want to ask is like we went through an all-time high where we are now 191 days ago, 27 weeks ago. Then we went through like this period where Bitcoin just got slammered with FUD after FUD after slammered, FUD. Slammered, huh? China, sl- China FUD, energy FUD, ESG yeah. FUD, like regulation FUD. And it took a beating. It went all the way. Like how far, how low did it get? Like 29,000, 26, uh, 7,000 or something before something returning like back to back to all-time highs. Uh, and so like pretty crazy. Right. Uh, and like, what is it? 27 weeks, half of a year. Like there's always the the conversation about Bitcoin goes in cycles. Like, was that a mini cycle? Was that a full cycle? Does, does it even matter as a cycle to talk about? Did we just go through like a a full like seasonality cycle? I don't really know. Um, important story is, um, we are back at all time highs. Yeah. The other, I guess, uh, what that means as well is Bitcoin is rising up the ranks in terms of global currency. So it just passed the Swiss franc in terms of value, total value. There's, there's, you know, Bitcoin total outstanding supply is more valuable than total outstanding Swiss francs. So it's the 13th largest world currency by market cap at this point in time. Unbelievable, right? What are we, 12 years, 13 years into this experiment? At the same time, that makes it feel so low. I feel like, does it? That's it? Like Bitcoin's only beyond like the only number 13? Friends, we are early. We're still early, right? It's going to be moving up these charts. Let's talk about something else that is moving up the charts, and that is the price of ETH this week. So ETH had a good week. Not quite ready to call the all-time high, though, David. We wanted to so much, but we're not there. We we almost, we, we just touched it right like barely touched it almost got there but not quite what is eth right now and what was the uh, previous all-time high yeah currently clocking in at four thousand one hundred dollars we started the week at three thousand eight hundred dollars and the previous all-time high it was seventy five dollars higher than what is being reported on coinbase it always changes depending on which exchange you're looking at previous high was four thousand three hundred and seventy five ish dollars uh and so oh look we actually got closer than i thought so we almost said we missed it by 20 ish dollars give or take but Interestingly, uh, Ether was up 14.5% on the week, whereas Bitcoin was only up 11% on the week, on the week that Bitcoin had the ETF announcement, which is kind of kind of interesting. Good news for Bitcoin is good news for ETH as well, right? So people are just asking like, well, if Bitcoin's going with an ETF, then, then when ETH ETF, it's got to be happening. And it is rising up the charts as well. We don't have a global currency uh, chart open, but we do have this. Ethereum is now larger than all of the world's global banks, okay? So it just passed, in terms of market cash, JP Morgan in market cap. Um, I've been watching this for a while just because, look, this is bankless, and Ethereum is kind of the you know bankless money platform for the world, and now it just passed the largest bank in the world. Um, I don't know that they know this is going on, but it's like it's happening. It's picking them off one by one. Yeah, do they understand that Ethereum is actually a banking competitor to them? Mm. Uh, it's pretty cool that <laughs> Ethereum is bigger than the world's largest bank, but I think the bigger land uh, milestone is when Ethereum is bigger than all of the banks combined. That, I think, is the, the real time to celebrate. 
Well, let's talk about the Bitcoin to ETH chart, shall we? So Bitcoin and ETH always in this tug of war mm -hmm. and this in this tension. What are we looking at on the Bitcoin to ETH ratio this week? Yeah, it was a uh, uh, flat on the week, a, a little bit up, started at 0.064, currently at 0.065. Um, uh, but it's also when looking at that pattern, you see that again, lower, uh, higher lows getting painted over the course of the last like uh, uh, roughly 200-ish days or so. Uh, again, interesting to to see uh, Ether, especially in the last two days, really run up against Bitcoin uh, on the on the uh, after the news of the Bitcoin ETF. So interesting dynamics. The Ether Bitcoin ratio really putting up a fight. Do you know what I tweeted out this morning? Because mm -hmm. I genuinely feel this way. Um, I was I have not been previously at the point of saying like the flipping of big of Ether exceeding Bitcoin market cap is is inevitable. But now I feel like I'm at that point. Like what changed? it's going to happen. Well, I mean, I had a very, I had a high confidence interval probably at the beginning of the year that that would happen. Call it 80%. Um, what changed is ETH became ultrasound money. That narrative stuck EIP 1559, where we're burning ETH every single week, every single, you know, block, every single day, every single week. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, the ETH as an internet bond has taken hold. Talking to institutional investors in the way we have, they're all buying ETH. ETH, okay, it's it's being recognized as a reserve asset. Now we have the merge coming, and I have incredibly high confidence that that is going to be shipped. Last year at this time, none of the things I mentioned had happened, all right? That's why I was like 80% confident that ETH would flip in Bitcoin. Now I'm like closer to 100%. Like, I think it is inevitable. Now we've just seen probably the most bullish thing that Bitcoin has in store, short of another country maybe adopting Bitcoin in some way, which is the the ETF, right? That's kind of the news that everyone is waiting for. And it's up, but like it's not up that much compared to ETH. So I'm kind of ready to to state that. I know you've been more bullish. You're always like, yeah, it's going to happen 100%. Um, and now I'm feeling like very close to 100% as well. I think there's some things to unpack here. First off, I actually think that this ETF is not the ETF that should make you bullish because it's a futures based ETF. And we'll unpack that, uh, what that means later in the episode. Uh, but it, uh, as opposed to a spot based ETF where actually like demand of the ETF actually creates buying pressure on the spot markets. Uh, and so like there's, there's something to unpack there. Also, uh, this is just the beginning of the ETF, uh, the Bitcoin ETF story. And overall, I think uh, really meaningful Bitcoin price appreciation is going to happen when that the uh, bridge of the ETF actually translates towards uh, more and more companies actually putting Bitcoin exposure on their balance sheets. Uh, and so like while it's just like the first week of the Bitcoin ETF, a lot of institutions are not yet uh, moving their money to do that, but they definitely will in the future. And so my take here is that like, uh, Bitcoin didn't react so strongly to this ETF other than breaking all-time highs like decent like still pretty strong That's uh, good in and of itself. It's good But there's there's just speculation as like all right when, when does this meaningfully actually change the fundamentals of Bitcoin? Is it like right now or is it in the future when these institutions actually come and start using this product? And I will also say like I'm also very very bullish on the merge but I think there's gonna be a similar game being played as does Ether really uh, move up against Bitcoin right before the merge? Or really, like, is it going to happen maybe up to a year or two years down the line after the lack of issuance from proof of stake actually does show up in the market? Because remember, 
uh, where Bitcoin has institutions putting it on its balance sheet, Ether has just like not issuing any Ether and actually being ultrasound money. Ethereum, because of the concept of ultrasound money, the combination of burning transaction fees and uh, minimizing the amount of Ether issuance counts as like we get as many grayscales as Bitcoin has every single year, like recycle. So it's almost like on uh, Ethereum flipping Bitcoin. It is definitely like on a timer because like they get to, uh, Ethereum as a protocol just gets to generate its own grayscales, like putting, putting Ether on the balance sheet. Anyways, there's a lot, of, there's a lot of dynamics to unpack with the flipping. Yeah, for sure. And I'm not going to call a timeline on it. I'm just calling a probability of uh, flipping has gone way up, whether that happens before the merge after the merge sometime in the next three to five years. I'm not sure. I just think it's going to happen more bitcoin etf discussion too we should we should have that when we get to news because i feel like the big thing is actually the narrative is actually the u.s government saying okay guys you can have your bitcoin etf now we won't stop you from having that anyway let's talk about another all-time high david which is something we've been waiting for for the entire year and that is DeFi pulse the total locked value in DeFi. what did we just hit david the magic number a hundred billion dollars i'm pretty sure we said it was going to happen <laughs> last week uh we definitely did and now we, we said we, we wanted here. it to happen we said we wanted yeah. it to happen yeah clocking in at a hundred billion dollars locked in DeFi, uh and then the dpi at the modest 345 dollars so the DeFi tokens not following the amount of value locked inside of their applications Look at this. Uh, where were we? Let's see. 2020, this time last year. Look at this, David. 20, 22 billion. A five, 22 five billion. X in a year. Yeah. And that was right after, you know, DeFi summer. It's pretty impressive. And if you go back like before DeFi summer. Yeah. So um, nothing. Nothing. Do you remember when we talked to like Cute little numbers. Vance Spencer from uh, Framework mm-hmm. and like total locked value is like, I don't know, five five billion or something yeah something didn't like he that. make some insane prediction about yeah. how there's gonna yeah. be a hundred billion dollars locked yeah, in he's DeFi? like 100 billion <laughs> yeah we and, asked and him for the run yeah and, yeah and and we were like wow vance are you allowed to be that bullish yeah, are is you that sure is that legal Ooh. is that a legal yeah. amount of bullishness yeah like, wow, like turns stop out he pumping got it. everything <laughs> yeah stop pumping everything vance but uh he called it yep. and we're not stopping here i mean doesn't look like the bull run is showing any signs of stopping speaking of which let's talk about dpi this is the um the top DeFi tokens what are we looking at on the week we don't have to talk too much about it it's a very no, flat no, number it's, it started no. the week at like roughly 340 dollars. it went up to 365 and now we're back at 345 dollars. so flat ish it's funny like some DeFi 2.0 tokens so-called are making a run but the uh the right? blue chip DeFi tokens are not right now that's a really really good important point i think we might be actual actually be able, able to make the claim that the dpi is actually not tracking all of DeFi because there's a lot of new protocols that have done extremely well recently rari capital uh olympus dow that aren't included in the dpi can you double check and make sure that's true can you scroll down and, and look at the holdings Oh, I'm pretty sure that's true because yeah. many of these tokens are like um, yeah. too young. Well, it's not basically, in here. yeah, too young. Yeah, so y- young, younger DeFi is outpacing older DeFi. Yeah, catch up, old man. Come on. <laughs> well, let's talk about the. No, we um, don't have to. The the ETH DPI ratio is getting slaughtered at, this, at 0.084. Um, oh my god! So it's I'm moving a- my my floor, my bottom call from 0.13 to 0.013. Don't make calls anymore, dude. Just stop <laughs> calling the bottom, okay? There is no bottom right here. Um, well, look, ETH is just looking really strong, really particularly strong, against yeah. these these blue chip DeFi tokens. And I don't know when that's going to change. I think it I think it will eventually, 
but um, it's it's not looking that way in the, right now. In the traditional stock market, we're used to uh, indexes going up against the dollar, but I guess in DeFi, we see indexes going down versus Ether just because ETH is ultrasound money. Absolutely. And, you know, I think to be fair, what you have to actually do in crypto is like you should like something like ETH should be your denominator. For me personally, it's my denominator. It's not actually U.S. dollars and it's not Bitcoin. I know some crypto folks denominate everything in Bitcoin. I don't personally. I denominate in ETH. And so when I'm making an investment outside of Ether, I ask myself, do I expect this investment to appreciate versus ETH? Not against dollars. Dollars is easy, man. It's easy, but it's a tutorial. It's easy, <laughs> come on. But can you actually appreciate and, and realize gains versus ETH is the question. And DeFi did for a long time. It hasn't recently. Um, let's talk about the way you can't lose, though, which is you buy all three. You buy Bitcoin, you buy ETH, and you buy DPI in equal 30-30-30. Uh, sorry, a third, a third, a third split. This is the bankless bed index. What are we looking at on the week, David? Started the week at $155, hit a high, a new all-time high uh, for at $186 in line with all-time high season, currently clocking in at $174. Oh, that's nice. Hitting yeah. all. So Bitcoin, all-time high, total locked value in DeFi, all-time high, bed index, all-time high. And just like 20 $22 off ETH all-time high. So we're doing it. Oh, another all-time high. Layer 2 beat, the total locked value in DeFi is also all-time high in this October season, this all-time high week. Uh, what are we looking at in, in total locked value in Layer 2? Clocking in at $4 billion. So nice to see that four number there. Uh, I think this is just going to be another... Uh, following the, the total locks in DeFi, marching up to $100 billion. So some of the, the leaders this week, Arbitrum, DYDX, Optimism, all uh, individually up about 8%. Uh, Loopering, clocking in at plus, plus 15% at $130 million. Nice job. Arbitrum got 60% dominance right now. Uh, DYDX coming in in second place with 22%. But this is so early. Like This is not even the first inning of the game here. Uh, but this is a chart to watch over the next 12 months for sure as things shake out. Uh, token Terminal, let's talk about this. Man, this is a story of EIP-1559. Another reason I'm I'm bullish ETH and bullish on the, on the flippening. Look at this. Users of Ethereum have paid $1 billion in transaction fees over the past 30 days. Okay, so th billion. think about that. Ethereum as a protocol has received $1 billion worth of revenue. If you look at Ethereum like a business that has sustainable economics, Ethereum a billion a month, a billion baby. a month, a billion a month. Not too bad. And uh, here's the part that where EIP 1559 comes in that, you know, people used to say, well, you know, so that's all going to miners. Well, no, it's not. 83%, almost 83% of that was burned. That's almost a billion dollars. 824 million was actually burnt and returned to ETH holders. So remember, this is as if every time Apple sells an iPhone, right, um, a portion of its stock is burnt. Is 80, 83% of the value of an iPhone gets burnt. 83%, right? What What is that worth? Even from a, ignore the ultrasound money case, I suppose, or the like reserve currency monetary premium case, just from a discounted cash flow. Like if you're if you're viewing this as ether as you would a stock, it is uh it is supremely undervalued, even at even at this valuation. And it's just crazy to see. So look, we got room to run, David. That's what I think. And last uh, time yeah, go, go ahead. It. 
Yeah, last time that ETH hit these current prices, here's a nice little summary tweet. Uh, last time ETH hit 4K, uh, EIP 1555, oh gosh, 1559 <laughs> was not live. Ether issuance was roughly 57% higher. Uh, 2.3 billion Ether were not burnt. Optimism and Arbitrum were not launched. NET, NFT volume had not done like a, an insane 4X. Uh, and then ETH staked in uh, 2.0 was literally half the amount it is right now. And D, uh, total locked value in DeFi was 20% lower. So nice summary of where we were just about 27 weeks ago in Ethereum land. Almost $3 trillion. Uh, that's the total value of all of crypto. And like, you, do you remember when Vitalik asked this uh, in 2017, that question of uh, have we earned it, mm-hmm. right? Uh, we were almost at a you know, trillion dollars back then. Have we earned it? And his answer was implicitly no. Yeah. This time I feel like, not all of crypto, but I'm talking specifically about Ether, maybe some other assets as well. The question of have we earned it, I feel like is a resounding yes, right? Just look at the cash flows that block space demand is generating right now and look at all of the development and the path forward. And uh, it feels like this is the beginning once again of a bull run and not like, oh, maybe we're kind of the midpoint, I suppose. Uh, But it's not over yet, in my opinion. None of this is financial advice, of course. Let's talk about um, Polygon as well, because they're hitting some big numbers. What's this number? 100 million unique active addresses on Polygon. So congratulations on the Polygon team. And with one of the big stories coming out later in the roll-up, it's going to be obvious as to why Polygon has done so well. It's relieving some traffic from the main chain, which is great as well. Uh, Look, Elon Musk, once again, summed it up. The meme master I guess. What are we looking at here? Yeah, Elon Musk. The markets were so hot this week that Elon Musk tweeted out this meme of just a guy and a girl, obviously a couple of guys like hugging the shit, excuse me, hugging the, hugging his girlfriend really, really hard. Uh, and they are together watching a TV on the wall where Bitcoin is priced at $69,000 and Ether is priced at $4,200. So Elon Musk, the meme lord. Nice job. Just, just a romantic night. What are you doing? You're not watching Netflix. You're just watching the price of Bitcoin and ETH go up. It's been one of those weeks. Uh, Guys, we will be right back with some of the hot releases of the week and after that news. But before we do, we want to thank the sponsors that made this episode possible. Matcha, everyone's favorite DEX aggregator, has just launched an open beta for gasless trading. So if you're trading more than $5,000 in common ETH and wrapped Bitcoin pairs, then your gas fees on Matcha are free. And that's why you should be using Matcha. Matcha routes your orders across all the various DeFi exchanges on Ethereum, Polygon, Binance Smart Chain, and gives you the best possible price without any trading fees or unnecessary slippage. Matcha has smart order routing that splits your orders across multiple liquidity sources if Matcha sees that that it gets you better pricing. Trading on Matcha is super easy because it pulls the liquidity for me into a single and easy to use platform and has even saved me multiple times from accidentally picking the wrong decks to trade on and getting a bad price. Matcha also allows you to make limit orders on chain so you can set and forget your DeFi trades and they will go through automatically while you're away. So when you're making a trade, head over to matcha.xyz slash bankless, connect your wallet, and start getting some of the best prices and most liquidity when you trade your crypto assets. Alchemix is one of the coolest new DeFi apps on the scene. It introduces self-paying loans, allowing you to spend and save at the same time. Deposit the DAI stablecoin into the Alchemix vault in order to get an advance on the interest it generates. Borrow up to 50% of the total amount of your deposited DAI in the form of AL USD stablecoin. Here's the craziest part. 
the loan pays itself back and you cannot be liquidated. Unlock your assets potential in the ultimate DeFi savings account. And brand new to Alchemix is the ETH vault where you can deposit ETH into the application, borrow AlETH against your deposits while having your advance gradually paid back over time. V2 is rapidly approaching, which will allow for even more collateral types, plus a variety of yield strategies to choose from. Harness the power of Alchemix at alchemix.fi. That's A-L-C-H-E-M-I-X dot F-I. Follow Alchemix on Twitter at AlchemixFI and join the Discord to keep up to date with Alchemix V2 and to get involved in governance. All right, guys, we are back after all-time high week, still in all-time high week. Now we're talking about releases. This is the reason that we are getting to all-time highs. So much is being built on top of Ethereum, on top of DeFi, on top of all the protocols we talk about. Let's talk about FutureSwap. FutureSwap is a perpetuals protocol. They just went live on mainnet, David. What's going on here? Yeah, a, a fun fact, this is a nice piece of Ethereum trivia, but actually started off with the yield farming model before Compound actually introduced it to the world. It was so successful that they had to shut down their contracts because so much money flooded in. They uh, were worried, right? They were worried, it was yeah, like but yeah. Too early. Mm-hmm. Yeah, too much. Too much money came too fast into unaudited contracts. But that was a long time ago. We are now into the V four of future swap. So if you are a perpetuals trader and you want allegedly ten times more liquid markets with thirty times more capital efficiency and it's fully composable, including exotic assets like NFTs, future swap might be for you. Ah, exotic assets like NFT, NFTs. Yeah. I'm actually going to leverage trading that punks. That was available. Yeah, yeah, very cool. This is cool too. ENS just keeps getting better. That is, of course, .eth. You know it well. But if you have MetaMask and you type in a .eth domain name, like in your browser window, as long as you have that MetaMask extension in your browser window, and you put a slash at the end of it, it'll just load. So if you go to Vitalik.eth, you have MetaMask slash then what pops up? It's the decentralized version of Vitalik's website. I'm gonna try this right now. Yeah, let's do this, actually. Let's see if this works. Mine didn't, mine didn't work. Look at this, MetaMask oh, yours, is wearing ENS. You might not be logged in, I don't know. And then, oh, boom, where are we? This is an IPFS link to Vitalik's website, which is not loading, laugh out loud. Okay. <laughs> well, we're getting there. Uh, I tried it earlier this week and it worked, but like, I think the redirect works for whatever reason. The link is down on, oh, here it is. IPFS. It was just slow. It's a little slow. Um, IPFS is slower. Decentralization is slow. That's how it works. So permanent. So permanent. Very cool (laughs) to see that. Uh, .eth addresses just keep getting better. This is really cool to see too, David. Have you ever like tried to use a state website right it's try to register an llc or a c corp or something like that not if i can avoid it no you try to pay your taxes or something anyway these state websites are absolutely terrible it's like they were developed in 2003 and then just like left they probably have something on staff called like a webmaster who just like maintains the website i mean they're absolutely terrible every single state is like that anyway one thing that's cool is the wyoming website state website where you register a business has just gotten updated and it's gotten updated and you see this one you can register an llc you can register a nonprofit. you can register a corporation <gasps> what's this you can also register a dao a decentralized autonomous organization hit that nice start now button with the uh, the hover <laughs> <laughs> and it's very, it's very cool. Like Wyoming law now allows this bridge between DAOs and uh, LLCs. 
and you know entities that are you know, state recognized. And because, of course, the state of Wyoming recognizes a DAO, then that means the entire federal uh, government of the United States recognizes a DAO. Um, haven't tried this, haven't done this. I know there are some things that are lacking from this uh, kind of DAO registration, but just the fact that you can do this is a huge, massive step forward. This always reminds me that like crypto is this nebulous like organism from space with a bunch of tentacles and it's just like grabbing on to the real world in like every single way possible. And now it's found its way to the real world via DAOs. The crypto octopus has you in its tentacles, <laughs> Wyoming. That's what's going on. You are, you are now right. part of the hive mind. Yeah, connects as well. So this is a bridge protocol. We're really excited about these, but they just released an explorer, so you can kind of visualize this. Um, David, this is uh, loading up right now, but what are we looking at here in the connects dashboard? Yeah, I, I think cross chain, cross L two volume transfers of like cross uh, cross transfers of USDC, Ether, USDT, Matic, all these tokens. It's going to be really really fun to watch as because this economy is transparent, uh, and connects has done a, a fantastic job making a dashboard of all of these metrics. So you can view the cross-chain L2 world volume, number of transactions, which chains are going to, what assets are being transferred, uh, how much total liquidity there is, how much total volume has been transferred. So congratulations to Connex for also cross-chaining $100 million since going live with their protocol. Yeah, that's huge. Um, guys, okay, those have been the releases. Let's talk a bit about some of the raises this week. And I think the theme, David, is money is just rushing into this space. It's piling in. And it's not just piling in one area, right? It's not just like the protocols or the layer one level or the, like the blockchain le level. It's saturating all of these different areas, areas we didn't even have a couple of years ago during the last bull cycle. So we got like at the protocol layer, investments are flying. The DeFi layer investments are flying. New funds are being created, massive, like hundreds of millions of dollars. We've got crypto banks that are continuing to raise. We've got NFTs. We've got even mining. Like there are all of these different pools of capital that are raising right now. And maybe we should touch on a few. Um, the first is from Obal. So this is a, uh, they just raised $6.15 million. And what I think of this is um, it's making staking more decentralized. There's some cool tech behind this, some cool um, crypto magic, I would say, but uh, that's at the protocol layer and really cool to see this race. Very deep down in the protocol layer. And this is, a, the technology here is a shared secret validators, which allows you to split a validator key among multiple parties, kind of like sharing the password for running a validating node with 32 ETH in it. Uh, and this is really, really important for organizations like Lido that have not yet fully uh, figured out how to protocolize the whole validator network that they have. And this is a very important puzzle piece for actually turning that into a completely trustless organization. Oh, the Obel team actually got a grant from Lido, $100,000 to help develop this technology. And this is something that we can also see Rocket Pool using and also overall just makes it easier to spin up a validating, a decentralized validating network. Uh, so pretty cool innovation here. Congratulations to Colin Myers. He's been in this world for a while. Yeah, he's definitely been in staking for a while. Uh, Polynomial is another one. So this is a, I, I believe 
you know, the characterization of like, it's a one inch, it's an aggregator for all of the various DeFi option protocols that are happening right now. They just raised $1.1 million to build out this one inch style uh, marketplace. Kind of cool. Any comments? The options ecosystem on Ethereum is definitely like, uh, it needs to get built out. So it's really nice seeing these aggregators getting added into the whole options marketplace. Uh, I mean, options are very basic financial contract. Uh, Ethereum makes a, it makes a ton of sense to have them on Ethereum. Hasn't really seen the adoption that we've wanted to see it yet, but maybe it's something like an aggregator that is really what needed to happen to make this done. The next one is Element uh, doing a big boy raise. Okay, so $32 million in a Series A round led by Polychain and uh, A16Z, but the valuation here is $320 million for DeFi protocol. And what these guys are doing is they're sort of um, splitting the principal in an interest rate uh, and and they're they're making it so that um, you, you can essentially get like a fixed rate. You know, all of the DeFi loans you get from uh, Compound or Aave, they're all variable rate. And Element is changing it so that many of these things can be a fixed rate. But that's a big valuation and pretty impressive that they're able to command that. Another X consensus individual, I believe, behind this. Uh, super exciting to see. Yeah, we've had them on the show before. Uh, so an old state of the nation, if you want to go find out more about Element. Also really pioneering into a brand new governance model, which has gotten a lot of praise from people that I really like in this industry, like Mariano Conti. We should mention that David and I are uh, investors in the like all three of those protocols. Actually, we believe uh, we believe in them that much. Um, also, David Polygon, they're getting a Bitwise Invest fund, so that is happening. Bitwise, of course, is the largest indexing uh, or organization, I suppose. And they're 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 centralized, of course, but now they're launching a Polygon fund primarily to invest in Polygon ecosystem of applications. What's happening here? Basically, it's just a wrapper around the Matic token and then making it available uh, for institutional investors who want to invest in the Bitwise fund. So, uh, I mean, there's a ton of hype around Matic. There's a ton of like growing adoption of Matic. And so uh, Matic the token in the same way that Ether is a great uh, tool to get exposure to basically everything that happens on Ethereum. Matic is simultaneously a great token to get exposure to everything that happens on Matic. And now you can get that exposure if you are a... Uh, legacy TradFi boomer investor and just want Bitwise to do all the hard work for you, uh, you can, it's a, uh, there's actually going to be just like, it's a great bridge. Look, just, it's better to do that than nothing, yeah, right? The worst thing yeah. you can do is just sit out of these markets for sure. Because, uh, you know, so if you can't do a MetaMask, then do this uh, is what I say. Okay. So also some funds, David. So um, the, the first is Variant. That's a, a fund we've been pretty excited about. We've had um, Jesse from Variant on the podcast before. Um, they just launched another $110 million uh, uh, fund. I think this is either their second either their second or their third. Um, they've also added some new talent whom we've also had on the podcast, Lee Jin. Talk about that. Uh, we actually had both of them on the podcast on a panel at the same time talking about the ownership economy. Also on that panel was Cooper Turley, who was uh, an advisor for the Advariant Fund. So now all these three friends are just now running a fund together, focusing on building out the creator owner economy. Uh, and so they are have always been bullish on this industry. So congratulations to the Variant Fund uh, just becoming an absolute giant. Galaxy Digital Interactive is also raising $325 million uh, as well. David, any comments on this? Another fund 
A16Z, you know, Polychain continues to, to raise all of Multicoin as well. Like, there's so many, we, we can't even list them all, but um, everyone is raised, all of these funds are raising money and they're doing that on the back of these massive successes and he takes on this uh, Galaxy race. Yeah, Galaxy is of course Mike Novogratz Fund who has been as bullish as anyone on this base and also been here for a while beating the same drum. Uh, we, we're big fans of Mike Novogratz. If anyone knows him and can get him on the show, please connect us. We've been trying. Uh, anyways, moving on. Answer our emails, Mike. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just do that. Uh, the crypto banks are raising too. Look at this, David. $420 million, and this is a mimetic number, uh, $420,690,000 from 69 investors. Uh, this is FTX raising at a $25 billion valuation. So, uh, you know, SBF just continues to, to grow. Pretty incredible raises here. Not surprising that FTX is now worth $25 billion. So, like, Coinbase is, I don't know, $60 billion-ish? 60 70 yeah. I don't know what Binance is. I, I heard rumor that Binance was trying to raise at one point in time earlier this year at $300 billion, which yeah, seemed a little a bit break, rich. CZ. <laughs> but, like, big money. Yeah. I mean, these yeah. are some of the largest banks in the world now, and they're crypto banks. Pretty crazy. How funny was it that, that we were last week talking about how Sam self-reportedly is doesn't really believe in crypto, and he just has the most nihilistic number of, of a raise for his company at $420,690,000 from 69 investors. Like, it's, he's in the right industry to do that, but like, come on, like, you have FTX behind you. Can you take the thing seriously, please? It's memes all the way down, David. You know this. So, uh, yeah, good, good for them on that raise. The crypto banks continue to to raise, and they're all in a competition to to raise funds and increase their value. Of course, the, there's so many raises, David. You and I can't even keep up. Look, uh, Candy Digital no just raised a casual. No clue who these are. It's an NFT startup. Okay, so look at this line. NFT startup Candy Digital raises a hundred million dollars in a Series A round. Okay, so it's a group we've not heard of. It's a startup, and they're raising a hundred million dollars at a one point five billion dollar valuation, like a unicorn, insta unicorn by their Series A. How is this happening? Uh, SoftBank, yeah, I think, might be the answer there. Uh, <laughs> they're they're involved, but but yeah, like it's it, the one thing to to take away from this is like the NFT industry is so incredibly large that things are happening that even the the crypto community isn't being aware of. This is like a, a part of the NFT world that's just invisible to us because it's so many people that just are not connected to us. Or the other take is that damn, like things are getting real frothy. People are raising way too much, way too early. Uh, maybe both are true. Both might be true. Peyton Manning was in on this one, if not some of the you know crypto natives that that we kind of know. But um, that's what's going on. Like NFTs are going mainstream. The last raise we'll we'll mention here as a category is the mining category, and this is a uh, mining company called Stronghold. They just raised one hundred and twenty one uh, one hundred and twenty seven million dollars in an IPO. Absolutely uh, insane, astounding. Look, man, how how much did we just cover? And I bet we covered like. 10 to 15 percent of the raises that happened this week but it's happening across like funds crypto banks nft market DeFi, base level protocols mining companies it's happening not just in crypto there are all of these subcategories that now have multi like unicorn level companies inside of them wrapped around them that's how big crypto has gotten in the last 18 months or so and and that's just the ones that we know about <laughs> exactly.
one thing we do know, of course, is this is the weekly reminder for you to get a job in crypto. Get a job. Get a job get in a job. crypto, guys. I know some people listen when we say this, David, because not a week goes by that I don't hear from somebody who's like, oh, I listened to what you said. I actually got a job in crypto. Thank you very much for that. Right. Guys, Thank you we, for the we, kick in the butt. You kick in the butt. Sometimes that's what you need, right? And Or an opportunity to explore. And we have the Bankless Jobs Board where you can explore some of the opportunities that Bankless has listed. I'll mention a few. A CTO from uh, E. Agrower. Agronom. God, I mean, Agronom. Agronom. Thank you. Thank you, David. Uh, General Counsel at Smart DeFi. Finance and Operations Guru at Smart DeFi as well. Senior Backend Engineer. You can also be a blockchain CTO at Merit, a Community Manager at Argon, a Founding Blockchain Engineer at Highlight, and a Senior Software Engineer at Popcorn or Community Lead course the senior front end web developer is open as well that's not even like a fraction of all of the job opportunities that we have on this board some people from the ethereum foundation they're hiring a team lead some people from gauntlet we've had them on the podcast everybody is on this board go check out the board uh go scroll if there's a job that fits your skill set and description something that piques your interest and then go hit the subscribe button so you see updates and we don't have to remind you every week you actually get an email when a new job uh, launches that you might be interested in you can just get these automated reminders to get a job no one comes into crypto gets a job in crypto and he's like i regret this so just like just let that be known it does not happen. Has not happened. Never, never met a single person. Impossible. Impossible. Absolutely. Okay, guys. Now let's get to the main event news items. David, let's start here, man. Bitcoin ETF. This is history. It's been eight years in the making. All right. The Winklevoss twins, all the way back in 2013, they started this. They first applied for a Bitcoin ETF in 2013, hoping that the market was ready to get some retail exposure to ETFs. Didn't happen. Year after year after year, didn't happen. Eight years later. It finally happened, okay? So walk us through this, David. What's what's going on with this new Bitcoin ETF? What is it? Yeah, the ProShares BITO futures-based Bitcoin ETF using the CME, uh, um, CME for the price reference rate. Uh, and so, uh, congratulations! We finally got the Bitcoin ETF. Yay! How happy are you about There's this? There's a big asterisk. Uh, there's a big difference between a futures-based ETF and a spot-based ETF. And while we are happy that we have a Bitcoin ETF, the game is not up. It's just a start because... Okay, what's the difference? The, okay, so the future Bitcoin futures offered by the CME, they have monthly contracts that end at the end of every single month, the last day of the month or the last trading day of the month. I think that's how it works. Uh, and so there's one for October that'll be up in like 10-ish days. There's one for, uh, what's the month that comes after October? November, November. December, January. <laughs> yeah. For the next six months, every, there's it's a rolling six months. And then there's also the next December and then also the December after that. So you can pick like which which date do you want to make your bet about the the future price of Bitcoin? That uh, sounds and, good, right? And there was recently a report that was submitted to the SEC saying that the on the onshore CME futures markets are actually driving the price discovery of Bitcoin over the spot markets, which I'm a little bit confused about, but I'll take it on faith because because uh, people who write that reports know way more than me. The the problem with this as a ETF model is that the way that the ETF works is that it tracks the price of the most, the next coming futures 
exchange. So like if, if we, if it was like November uh, 2nd, right, uh, the ETF would be tracking the futures price of the next month. And they, it would be rolling into every single, as the contracts, the futures contracts settle, because it settles once a month, every every month, it rolls into the next uh, the next futures month. Uh, and so there's these things, this things called contango, where there's a, actually a discrepancy between uh, the Bitcoin futures price of one of month one to month two. So like say, for example, the Bitcoin futures of month one is is uh, clocking in at sixty thousand dollars, and then the next month, uh, people futures traders have predicted that it's going to be sixty two thousand dollars. The ETF will sell all of the sixty thousand dollar valuations of Bitcoin into sixty two thousand dollar valuations of Bitcoin, and they will actually lose shares along the way. Of course, the, this can actually happen in reverse. So in theory, it cancels out over time. But really, what this does is this allows a bunch of middlemen and traders and who want to take uh, advantage of this arbitrage opportunity to just kind of milk out just the leakage of value out of this ETF, right? So like, do you know how to trade around th- terms like contango? Like, are, is that something that you know how to do? Because no, if not, bit, other people do and other people but, are taking advantage of this. But you basically, all you have to do is you just like, the value of an ETF is that it's in a brokerage, right? So it's in somebody's Schwab account, their Fidelity account. They don't have to open up Coinbase. You just buy it with all their other stocks. And they buy the ETF. But what you're saying is because it's a futures ETF and not a spot ETF, it's less capital efficient for them to do so. And it's more expensive for them to do so versus a spot ETF, right? The best thing you can do, of course, is get over the hump, go open an account at Gemini or Coinbase and just buy spot market and let like them custody it and then graduate into you know going bankless. That's the best thing you can do. But if you're locked into a retirement account, an ETF is the second best. The problem is this ETF is a futures-based ETF. It's not a spot-based ETF. And so it's more expensive for you. You're actually losing money versus buying Bitcoin in, in a spot market on, on something like Coinbase. Is that right? Yeah, that's exactly right. So if you are interested in just buying and holding BTC Bitcoin on your traditional brokerage, this is actually just not, you're going to lose money over time than if you had just bought actual Bitcoin. Uh, and so that actually just puts uh, people that actually compliantly can't go actually buy Bitcoin at a disadvantage because they have to pay all these fees, all these uh, these traders, uh, their op- arbitrage opportunities uh, where they could have just done a, a spot driven market. And the difference, the very important difference about a spot driven market is that when people buy a spot driven market ETF, that ETF goes out and buys Bitcoin and puts it on the balance sheet, right? There's actually right. Bitcoin there. And so Real actual Bitcoin. ETF demand is actual Bitcoin demand. And so so this uh, whole futures-based ETF, if, if it has a ton of demand, it might not actually translate to actual Bitcoin demand, or at least it, w- it will, but it won't be immediate. In a roundabout way. In a very roundabout way. And really that roundaboutness puts money into the hands of an intermediaries and scalpers. And like when it comes to the SEC who approved this, by the way, what is their job? Their job is to protect investors. And so they are just shoveling investors into the place that they just get scalped. Like what the hell, dude? It's, it's, it's not the best ETF. Uh, absolutely. Right. I mean, the thing that they could have done is just approved a, a spot Bitcoin ETF. I guess the argument is that this is a step in that direction. And this is a more gated regulator friendly type approval because they know all of the intermediaries, all of the incumbents that are, you know, are doing this. Uh, So 
I guess it's a big deal that they did approve it, right? That is a step in and of itself that the government came and said, okay, fine, you can have your Bitcoin ETF after eight years of retail asking for it. The question is, how long will it take them to get to a spot ETF, which is much more? Are we going to have to wait another eight years? Right. God, I hope not. Are they going to use and this also, as like a defense? Like, we already gave you your ETF. Why do you need another one? Also, I really want an ETH ETF. I mean, if we have Bitcoin ETF, then where's our ETH ETF? That should be coming down the pike too. So it's kind of like, it's good news, but it's also a little bit like, come on, we could do better, can't we? I hope this is just the first step. Uh, one thing that SEC tweeted out shortly before approving this, this is the week before, I guess, is a reminder, before investing in a fund that holds Bitcoin futures contracts, make sure you carefully weigh the, weigh the potential risks and benefits. This is what this is the tweet that tipped everyone off. Like, oh my gosh, there's an ETF coming. Yay. I, I just think that there are some hidden risks and hidden costs that this type of structure doesn't actually tell you about. And um, it would be nice if those were acknowledged as well in this kind of a warning. Um, I think in summary, like... We can zoom out and say, oh, the ETF that got approved is the one that is exactly what the incumbents and and the, the current institutions would want the most and benefits them the most. Uh, shocker. Weird. But like this is this makes sense because regulators know the incumbents. They know how to regulate them. They know how to you know put the stranglehold on them if they need to. And all of these new entrants are outside of their control. Right. So they feel much less comfortable. So who are they going to let do it? They're going to let kind of their friends, the existing organizations whom they already regulate do this. Um, I mean, but we want spot. We want spot ETF. We want spot. We <laughs> want spot. Uh, Grayscale, Grayscale wants Grayscale spot wants too, right? Spot. Right. So Grayscale okay. has made a big ETF push filing to turn their GBTC fund into a BTC and the ticker name filed for bit ticker name BTC ETF. Uh, and so they are taking this opportunity to take, take, they took opportunity by the horns and they are now making a very political move saying like, hey, give us a spot market. Give us a spot market. So more power to Grayscale. Well, it, it, it's interesting because it puts regulators in this position where they're kind of king-making, right? It's like, we're going to approve these ETFs, but not these ETFs, right? And so what's what's the set of criteria by which they'll approve someone's ETF? And I think that's where Grayscale is like, hey, people are buying our trust anyway. We have massive amounts of Bitcoin inside of this thing. Why not just make this an ETF? Let's make it official. All right, David, second news item of the day is the Coinbase NFT platform. We talked about it. We mentioned it last time that it was coming. That was the news last week. The news this week is that we have more details on this. Let me rattle a few more details coming out because this could be absolutely massive, I think, in the NFT space. As far as mainstreaming NFTs, even that much more, the Coinbase NFT platform will be open. So it's not going to be an invite-only platform, okay? We do know that. Uh, we also know that the Coinbase NFT platform will rely on decentralized storage solutions like IPFS rather than centralized service. So clap, clap, clap. More decentralized, better. We like. Um, you can mint NFTs on Coinbase and sell them anywhere else. Okay, so they're not going to do this weird lock-in that maybe some other platforms do. Maybe a flow. I don't know. List any non-Coinbase NFTs as well. So they're opening this thing up. Another smart move, I think. You will be able to use different currencies and different wallet solutions. They're not going to lock you into the Coinbase proprietary wallet app store experience. Thank God. Also, Coinbase NFT is going to start with support for Ethereum. Good move. And also plans to support minting in markets across other chains 
as well. Look, that's all good news. This makes them a bit more like, you know, OpenSea, I think. Custodial OpenSea. That's basically what it is. A custodial open suite. And I don't know, I think you'll have the option to do it custodially or non-custodially. It, it sounds like as well. Like I think a lot of this minting is going to happen directly on Ethereum. I don't know. The Coinbase wallet is non-custody as well. So I don't know about cus, cus, um, you know custody versus non-custody. They'll definitely have a fiat bridge as we talked about last week, which will give them an advantage too. Um, well, even, anyway. even if they're non-custodial, it's really the custodial nature of this that is the actual value add, right? Because we actually don't have a custodial NFT platform. And uh, there's just going to be so many more people who are ready to who want to get into NFTs, but don't really want care about crypto. And look, Coinbase is a, is a solution for them. I think that the value add is just the uh, making this easy, right? They provided the easy button for Bitcoin. You buy it back in like, you know, 2013, 2014. And mm-hmm. they, they did that for ETH. Now they're doing that for uh, NFTs, which is a good move. And they're also mainstreaming it. So this is a breaking this announcement is last this week. This is huge. Okay, Coinbase is now partnering with the NBA, Women's NBA League as well, like all of the subsidiary NBA. And I believe, David, though correct me if I'm wrong, this is like a a brand marketing IP type relationship, right? So Coinbase NFT platform, NBA partnership means they can license uh, NBA's IP, right? So they could create their own I guess, version of NBA Top Shots or maybe whatever else the NBA and Coinbase have in store. This almost went under the radar last week. I guess, well, maybe this is like, you know, 10,000 likes, Mm -hmm. but um, this is huge, huge. don't you think? This is a very big deal. Yeah, just collecting the IP from these massive, massive ecosystems, which are basically all based on IP anyways. Uh, Really nice victory, really nice W on on Coinbase and uh, and wherever Coinbase puts these NFTs. And I I think they'll be able to just let the user deploy the NFTs on whatever chain they want, maybe. Um, So yeah, anything and everything crypto related from the NBA is now Coinbase. So congrats, uh, big W. this is a one up on SBF who, yeah. you know, put uh, yeah. FTX's name on, on mm-hmm. some um, uh, st- stadium recently. Right. Yep. Where was that? Uh, Miami, Miami stadium. Miami. Okay. Yep. That's right. That's right. And um, also all the umpires of the MLB. Well, let's talk about this. Wu-Tang clan forever. Wu-Tang forever. Wu-Tang. What happened here? Wu-Tang. Wu-Tang and Pleaser Dow. Okay. Match so made in heaven. the, the story here is there's a, there's a famous mysterious Wu-Tang album of which there is only one of it. There's one CD and it got sold. I think for, it got auctioned off for $2 million as kind of like a middleman towards the, the, or excuse me, a middle finger towards the middlemen of the music industry. This was before blockchain. This was before crypto. So the what year are we talking? Uh, I, 90, can't, I can't, can't remember like 96, um, something like that. Uh, I, I don't know. Um, so yeah, they, they auctioned off a, their only their one of one album that they produced. The the, the Wu Tang produced an it? album. Uh, yeah, that that was it. Yeah, and th- this guy Martin Screlly, who's this hedge fund manager who you got, everyone might remember for going oh. to jail in 2017 for securities fraud. And he's Wait, he's is this the guy. Is he's this the, the guy, guy that cute? jacked up the price of an EpiPen from like 16 oh cents God, to 750 dollars. Like yeah. he's literally this hedge fund insurance guy, like villain, super villain, hated by the internet. And he has all these douchebag videos of him uh, listening to the Wu Tang album, and he's like, I'm gonna destroy this just because I can. And then he also says, um, 
uh, some reporter asked him, was like, hey, are you ever going to let anyone else listen to the Wu-Tang album? And the guy with like this anger in his face goes, absolutely not. The no guy's, way. Yeah, the guy's just a really mean, like- just a, a, He's just he's being just a, a cartoon villain. Yeah, he's just being a little, that's great. He's a cartoon villain. And he's also in jail now for <laughs> securities fraud. He'll be in jail for 2024. And because he had to pay off his debts that, for this fine that he got for securities fraud, he had to auction off the Wu-Tang album. And so no Pleaser Dow bought it. Pleaser Dow bought the Wu-Tang wow. album. And so there's, there's Jameis right there, who's uh, the chief pleasing officer over at Pleaser Dow, taking a photo of the one-of-one one famous Wu-Tang album that has never been released to the public. Uh, and Jameis, I know, and Pleaser Dow has a ton of plans as to what to do with this. Uh, here, here's a picture of them and, and a bunch of other Pleaser Dow members as well. Dude, the, this story is such an amazing story. Uh, so congratulations to, to Jameis. Congratulations to Pleaser Dow. Uh, of which I'm a member. Um, <laughs> you just uh, had I, your I think take, it's so cool. He, he, here's your take as well. What's the juxtaposition here? Yeah, so summarize? so this this story got onto the front page of the Rolling Stone, uh, and Rich, who uh, used to work at MakerDAO, an, an old friend of mine, said this might be the first time I've ever read a trad media crypto story that wasn't dripping in sarcasm or ending with a smug and alarmist hot take. This is a significant shift. Talking about the tone of the Rolling Stone article, and so I follow well, up. I guess, and say, I guess it's like. Because crypto are the heroes in this the case, crypto right? people Everyone are the heroes, out of right? This, this dude's hand. Okay. And so uh, here, here's my take on this. I said, the juxtaposition of a DAO of homies buying a rare cultural artifact from the hands of a scumbag hedge fund manager is exactly the kind of positive PR that crypto needs. Oh, more of that energy, please. Yeah. That's cool. This right? is the how, how it started, how it's going. Right. So here's the story of Pleaser Dow, where Leighton from Pool Together uh, tweets out, anyone want to create a quick DAO to bid on this? This being people pleasers, Uniswap V3 X times Y equals K Uniswap uh, animation. Uh, and so Leighton just tweeted this out. A bunch of people said, yes, I do. Uh, they all hopped into a DAO. They pooled their funds. There's a great story. We ran it on Bankless Forever Go about it. Uh, and that started off Pleaser Dow, which it was a DAO that was was created to buy people pleasers art and then pleaser DAO went from just a DAO of people that wanted to buy that one thing into a DAO of people that wanted to buy like all the cultural artifacts so Edward Snowden NFTs are in there the Doge NFT is in there we had Jameis on a state of the nation to talk about this now the physical physical asset the Wu-Tang one-of-one mysterious album is now property of pleaser DAO uh, and I know that there are plans in the pleaser DAO uh, world to actually m open this up so let let me actually read out uh, something that Jameis said in the uh, in the Rolling Stones uh, article. Pleaser, Pleaser Dow has grand but loosely articulated ambitions to make the album more available to the public, perhaps through listening parties or gallery-style exhibitions, or even to expand ownership of the album to fans, although how that would work would remain up in the air. We believe that we can do something incredible with this piece, said Jameis, to enable it to be shared and ideally owned in part by fans and anyone in the world. Again, think of the juxtaposition behind the hedge fund man who's like, I'm going to destroy this so no one can listen to it because I can, because I, my brand is being an because asshole. Because I'm rich. Because I'm rich. And then this Dow buys it and we're like, hey, we're going to allow everyone to listen to this thing. Like, it's perfect. It's such a perfect story. I hope it's good. I it hope be good it's after good after all this. <laughs> I hope it's a good album. album. <laughs> we don't even know, but mm -hmm. uh, I guess we get to find out. That's really cool, man. Very mm -hmm. cool. And exactly the kind of press I think yeah. uh, crypto needs at this point in time. Mm -hmm. um, let's go to the next one. So many big, every, so many every big one of these news, have been news. big. It's a big week. This is really big in and of itself. 
a Polygon and DraftKings have just entered into a strategic partnership. So DraftKings is a $40 billion publicly traded company for like sports betting, I believe. I've, I've ne never used it. This is kind of outside of my area, but um, I believe they are going to include some of their IP and licensing, like NFT type forms. They're going to start deploying that on Polygon. Also, I wouldn't be surprised if some of the sports betting payment networks shifted to Polygon over time. They're not just announcing this partnership, but they're also becoming validators on the Polygon network which is pretty cool. And look, a, a sidechain is a great way to get started in crypto, like low gas fees. Um, you know, the Polygon team is, is pretty good with the onboarding process. It's all EVM. So if you ever want to go to mainnet, you can quite easily. But major company in a different space that we haven't seen, which is sports betting now coming to crypto. It's pretty cool in and of itself. I really think the uh, DraftKings potentially becoming a validator to the Polygon network is really something to, to unpack uh, because we all know that something like Polygon is going to take a decent amount of capital to run a validating node. Uh, they got to be like pretty beefy computers. And so it's nice to pair a beefy computer with a $40 billion company that has things at stake on the Polygon network to lose, right? Their own business. Uh, and so that seems to be a really smart tr uh, strategic alignment between incentives. Uh, so really congratulations on the partnership uh, Polygon, well-deserved. And I mean, it, gambling, gambling is, is in like speculation is what DraftKings is all about. And yeah, that's in our wheelhouse. That's, we, we know about we do those some things. Of that. We do, yeah, <laughs> that's kind of what Not we do. Not me, of course. I'm <laughs> just long-term hold. People, other people, yeah, I don't but take yes. leverage. Yes, I've, I've known some people in crypto <laughs> who have speculated a time or two, let me say that. <laughs> That's cool. You know, this is also cool. Again, almost equally uh, big news, I thought. So do you remember in 2018, 2019, Facebook was creating its own Ethereum killer sort of thing, uh, a blockchain. It was going to have a, a smart contract system. They were launching uh, something at the time that was called Libra, which was going to be kind of the Bitcoin and ETH killer on their entire new blockchain. They they came out with a whole um, like virtual machine that's you know comparison to the EVM and a whole scripting language rather than Solidity. They had Flow, and they were just going to eat Ethereum's lunch with this new Facebook chain that was going to like own the entire world and bring crypto. They were into, also like, inventing their own currency. That was yeah. before Libra was, or, or the currency was going to be a dollar stable coin, but instead it, a basket of currencies. Exactly. And I remember at this time, David, like uh, the market was in the doldrums. This is before DeFi really took off. Everyone was like, oh no, they're going to come and destroy Ethereum and Bitcoin. And Facebook's going to be the new champion. They'll have co-opted this amazing technology. Okay. What just happened is the Novi wallet from Facebook, which is their, their wallet that like like is the user interface for this whole thing. They just deployed their first stablecoin. They announced they're going to deploy their first stablecoin. David, guess what it is, man? Uh, on Ethereum? It's an ERC-20 coin on Ethereum. Weird how okay? that works. <laughs> this yeah, don't, an... don't fight Ethereum. Just, just succumb. Just let it happen. I, that's what, just let it that's happen. What they, that's what they did, right? So it's an ERC-20 on Ethereum. This is uh, not USDC. It's a stablecoin put out there um, by Paxos, basically but using Ethereum as the settlement network and essentially resigning themselves to an app on top of it rather than be the base layer protocol. And the reason is quite simple. It's something that like we predicted for a while, which is just the protocol sync thesis, right? Facebook simply does not have the credible neutrality to be a base layer system 
for the world, for identity, for uh, money, for finance. How do we know this? They can't even get their own country to like accept them. Okay. Like every time Zuckerberg goes in front of, you know, Congress, it's It's just like Zuckerberg punching bag time. It's, and the reason is like, maybe some of that's deserved. Maybe some of that's not. I tend to happen. Like I tend to believe that like much of that is deserved, but this also politicians scoring points. Like I get that whole world too, but like, of course they can't be a credibly neutral base settlement platform for crypto, right? Of course they can't be. Ethereum on the other hand is not owned by any sing- single individual. It is a public girl- good for the world. And of course they would use it for their stablecoin, their money system. Anyway, it's just for me, that was kind of full circle and, um, really interesting to see web three or web two can't even compete with web three now they are using uh protocols like ethereum as their base settlement layer it was inevitable just people didn't see it in 2018 2019 now it's becoming super obvious i think the credible neutrality is definitely an angle but i think another angle is that building out ethereum type infrastructure like nodes uh, evms it's hard like that's not a trivial thing and like, it's not like Facebook doesn't have the technical talent. Like Facebook has a lot of technical talent. Yeah. But think about the the culture of that technical talent. It's building Facebook products for Facebook ownership, not open source software for global human totally. coordination, right? Totally. So like, while maybe they do have the technical talent, do they have the technical ethos? No, they do not. They have the Zuck <laughs> ethos. They do. And do, do you remember, like, they rug-pulled all of their game developers. Remember Facebook released this this open API, a whole bunch mm-hmm. of, you know, game developers um, built on top of it. And then they would sort of extort some of these games, right? What was the one? Uh, the Farm game. Do you remember this? Oh, yeah. It was all the rage? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, Farmville, something like this? Yeah, Farmville. Okay, I, yeah. I never played this. But anyway, it, Facebook would basically go to the game developers and be like, hey, you're going to do what we say. Like, maybe we want to buy your company. Else we'll just shut off our api access going to yeah sorry rug pull like we are the you know we are the masters this is like our platform if you don't like it see you later right no wonder no one's trusting them to do this kind of thing They've, they've done this in the past so yeah but here's the interesting thing david is um regulators i find this just hilarious are already uh, throwing punches not, not are already fighting. So Elizabeth Warren hates it. She's pissed. It just went live like with this announcement and not hours later, but um, you know, they, they get a statement from uh, Elizabeth Warren, some other folks in Congress who are like, we got to stop this. We don't want this to happen. Um, it's funny to me because I don't know if I'm saying Elizabeth Warren, but it's a whole, it's a kind of a whole group in Washington. She just happens to be the, the you know, like the most outspoken, I think, and kind of like the recognized leader of them right now. I don't know if they hate Facebook or crypto more, right? What do you think? I, I think it's <laughs> amazing when Facebook and crypto collide and Elizabeth Warren just like wakes right up out of bed and be like, something's wrong and I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's funny is we actually would say Elizabeth Warren that crypto is the solution to your your exactly. Facebook problem. You, yeah, you don't Do you think like Elizabeth Warren just thinks that crypto is what Facebook is trying to make their own crypto ecosystem into. I don't know. Maybe dude. I just really don't know. I want some of these people to come on Bankless. I want them to engage in the crypto community so we could talk about them. You don't like Web two. You don't like big tech. You don't like Silicon Valley. Cool. Make it easier for Web three to thrive so we can destroy them. Okay, disruptive innovation. Put the power back in the hands of the people. Isn't this what we all want? I hope so. 
Yep. I think we've got some solutions for that we, tribe. They just don't realize it we've yet. We've thought about these things. <laughs> we, we have a plan. We have a plan that's going to work, we think. It's called crypto. Uh, David, this is a funny story, too. This is still, I guess, now we're moving to NFT stuff. But there was a massive bid for a crypto punk. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got a crypto punk be- beside you. I've, I've heard of these things. Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. So uh, what was this bid? Why was it historic? And what happened with this story? Yeah, so this guy, Richard, Richard with an E instead of an A, he tweets out, my punk is not for sale. I don't care what anyone offers me. Uh, and and so, like, there's, there's there's that line that, like, you know, everything is for sale for the right price, right? Uh, and so the owner of Poapt XYZ, uh, his name's Patricio, he's not, he's not a secret, um, come, uh, does the most Chad thing ever and offers the largest bid ever for a CryptoPunk. So if this, if Richard had accepted this bid, it would have been the largest CryptoPunk sale ever, clocking in at $10 million, 2.5 thousand ETH. So the guy just says like, oh, what do you mean? Like you're, you're never gonna sell your punk. Like what about $10 million? And okay, Richard can, can I says ask you? no. Okay, he says no. What's so special about this CryptoPunk, David? It's, it's not. The, it's not the punk. It's it's got 3D glasses, so that's kind of cool. But that's not the point. It's not the point. The, the the punk is like a medium, a mid to to floor punk. It's not. It's not special. It's just that Richard likes it. He's the guy that owns the punk, right? Like, there's probably a valuation on my punk, and I probably value it a two to four times higher than that. That the fair market valuation. Oh, just two right? to four. So yeah. if I offered you two to four times more than uh, what it's valued, you, yeah. you'd sell it to me? Yeah. Yeah. You would? Yeah. I'm, I'm not doing that. Like, we're not doing that right now. If you offer me two to four uh, times higher than the market price for it, of which I also determine, um, uh, then yeah, I tell you, I tell you my punk. Oh my God. Okay. So you're not never sell. You're not like this guy, Richard. Well, anyway, yeah, what happened with this into story? a different punk. Okay. Okay. Um, what okay. happened with this story? Yeah, so so Richard, he dig, he doesn't accept the ten million dollar offer for his punk. God, he, it's he a refuses. JPEG, dude. Someone <laughs> tell him. Okay, so like I was talking to my friend about this, and I was like, the reason why he's doing it is because like it's cool to deny the the, the offer, right? It's cool to say no to ten million dollars. Uh, is like, it? And well, his his counter argument was like, well, you know, it's also cool <laughs> accepting ten million dollars. <laughs> I just sold a JPEG for ten million dollars right. in twenty twenty one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So well, like the follow up tweet coming out of Richard, uh, I think two days later, he tweets out, "Diamond hands are not my girlfriend's best friend." So he probably told his girlfriend oh, oh. that he declined a ten million dollar offer. Like, you what idiot? And like, there's some some degree of maybe she just like started screaming at him or said like, <laughs> "Why would you do that?" So some some scale of just like what the hell happened? Uh, but yeah. Uh, that's incredible yeah all right well now we know david has a price for his crypto punk but mm. the thing you should have said david i think is use that reverse psychology you should have said you should have told me you're never going to sell it like this guy oh, richard you're right. You're right. then i would have valued it higher then right. i would have really wanted it yeah. or somebody listening to this would have really wanted it <laughs> yeah if you, ryan if you wanted a punk by now you would have gotten one you're still stuck with uh, your turtle yeah 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 it's stuck with it my <laughs> turtle and i are friends okay <laughs> Um, we're having a good time back here. It's just going really slow. That's all. (laughs) It's not as fast as punks. Okay. It's going to take a while to catch on. Look, this is another big thing. It's another big news event. Okay. These could have been all could have been news events so far. All right. So what's, what's this one? Uh, so here's, here's, I think the headline, um, steam, this is valve entertainment. Um, Mm -hmm. they are banning NFTs as crypto games on the Steam platform, which I think is the largest like gaming platform right, right, in the community. 
and then one of their competitors has something different to say. But w- why don't you talk about why are they banning crypto games? Yeah, they, they had a, a game that they actually removed from their platform. I can't remember the, the name of the game, but they, they were on Steam. They had a blockchain integration. They were connected into, into Ethereum. They had NFTs in their game, and then they got um, kicked off of the platform because Steam has a, has now a policy of no NFTs, no no financial assets inside of games. Is this uh, because like all crypto is a scam, David? Or is this because like it's, maybe, it's um, maybe cannibalizing their business model or something? Maybe or? they don't know the, the like, if I have a gracious angle on it, Maybe they just don't know the regula- regulations around it, so they they kicked them off before, and now they're going to go do their due diligence, and they're going to come back and like, okay, we did we did the due diligence, we can now accept it, maybe, or maybe they are just like, oh yeah, blockchain, that's that whole scam thing, like no, kick them off, get them out of here, okay. yeah, okay, um, who knows, who knows, okay, boomer, the story's unfolding, okay, yeah, all right, got it. So then what, what did their competitor say? So Epic had something to say. Yeah, in, yeah, in report, the, uh, an alternative gaming platform, Epic, says. We, we love NFTs and financial assets inside <laughs> of games. Come build your financial yeah. asset games on our platform. Uh, and so love that it. story is going to unfold and it's going to be interesting to watch. Look, this is the game theory of it, though. This happens at the nation state level, right? Mm-hmm. So like China, the U.S., neither of them like crypto. China bans crypto. U.S. says, oh, we love crypto now, right? I'm not saying it's happening exactly that way, but that is like mm-hmm. what happens when you have multiple parties who don't have unlimited power. They can't unilaterally ban something uh and if they ban it just locally to their own economy then they give all of their competitors a massive advantage and it just forces them into a situation where they have to end up capitulating and accepting this the only question is how long will it take steam to do that will they go through a year of pain two years of pain will they go and they try to build their own like blockchain network that is the steam blockchain will they waste all of this time and money or will they just get on board with what's happening in crypto and these open finance uh, protocols that's up for steam and yeah. you know for for gabe like where's half-life 3 that's yeah. all i want to know yeah maybe, maybe they're doing some digital assets in half-life 3 who knows oh you think so you no. think that's happening they are, they are not <laughs> <laughs> oh david let's talk about this while we're talking nfts ross albrick what is he doing uh from jail from a jail cell with right. nfts yeah, Ross Ulbricht, the renowned Dread Pirate Roberts from the Silk Road, the uh, the very peaceful libertarian who believed in what he was doing and got sent to jail for, I think, two lifetimes uh, for running a, a an illegal marketplace using Bitcoin all back in 2013. He's been in jail ever since, but he uh, has this Twitter account that his mom runs, uh, Real Ross U, Ross Ulbricht. And he says, we are auctioning off some of my art as an NFT. The proceeds will go towards charities that help prisoners and their families and towards helping me regain my freedom. One project we envision is to help kids travel to visit their mom and dads in prison. Um, so cool, Ross Ulbricht getting into NFTs from jail. Yeah, very Free cool. Ross, free yeah. Ross. Also not a Bitcoin Maxwellist, I guess. Uh, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. using these other I don't, th- I don't think ever well. was. Yeah, I, you know, uh, yeah. Um, okay, Andrew Yang, what's, what's he up to, man? Okay, so we had him on the podcast. We made this joke toward the end, right? Because yeah, he started talking about, hey, I really think this podcast is a historic occasion because it's the first time that Andrew Yang has been on a crypto podcast, been on Bankless. And also, it's sort of the first time where we've had a politician with uh, some name presence just do like the crypto handshake. Give crypto the handshake and be like, hey, guys, I'm, you know, I support crypto. 
And I, I'm going to like let the world know that publicly. And anyway, we had this joke and we said, hey, if this is a momentous occasion, what we should do is create an NFT. And we threw that back to the community and said, hey, community, if anyone you know wants to create a, an NFT at the end of the show, go do it. And somebody did it. Actually, this is um, a crypto wife, I believe mm-hmm. she's known on, and she makes all sorts of memes for Bankless, for the community. She's a fantastic artist. And she created this meme for Andrew Yang. So uh, take us from there, David. Then what happened? Yeah, we they, we got also got Andrew Yang, andrewyang.eth. We uh, teamed up with Brantley Milligan, got into a Zoom with Andrew, uh, connected him with his first ENS name, andrewyang.eth. So andrewyang.eth actually minted this NFT. Uh, and this NFT auction actually just closed about 30 minutes ago, and it sold for 6.9 ETH. So staying true <laughs> to the memes. I guess we're not taking things seriously today. Uh, $28,000 to the forward party. So really like a nice, st- a nice gracious gesture to the crypto world saying, hey, I'm here, I'm, he- I'm in it. Like I'm doing these things. I got andrewyang.eth, minted my NFT, donating to the forward party. Uh, so really, really pretty cool. Yeah, that, I'm glad that, you know, somebody did that. Somebody stepped that uh, up, and you know, seven ETH is not uh, six point nine ETH. Excuse me, is is not a small figure. So twenty eight thousand uh, dollars, and somebody gets this fantastic NFT. So mm-hmm. more politicians will be coming to crypto. Crypto will be coming to politics. Um, this is going to happen, and I think this is just the start of all of this. David, for, for the listeners out there, the NFT just has a bunch of tip of the hats towards uh, towards the, the greater crypto oh, world. Oh, they can see it, right? A- yeah. Andrew Yang has a Chrome laser eyes, rainbow laser eyes, which I think is a nice touch. He's got an Ethereum and a Bitcoin lapel pin. And then there's a bunch of uh, NFT profile picture icons out there. There's a cool cat. There's a uh, pudgy penguin. There's a crypto punk. And then we also have a bunch of the uh, crypto media uh, platforms out there. Uh, the Defiant, Bankless, Daily Gway. Uh, and then we also have tips to the hat to Gitcoin and Coin Center. Uh, and so a, a lot of a lot of crypto thing is being represented here. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, people sometimes wonder how crypto is moving this fast. Like, how does it accomplish so much, right? Now we have politicians who are incented to come to crypto because they get votes. Maybe they get fundraising, this sort of thing. So do our media publications, David. This is The Economist, and they are auctioning off uh, the magazine cover. And this is actually a fantastic uh, article. It's called Down the Rabbit Hole, The Promise and Perils of Decentralized Finance. The first article in The Economist I've ever read that actually portrayed a pretty accurate picture of what DeFi is. And now they're auctioning that off. What's really interesting about it is we've said this before. It goes to, you know, it applies to all of our listeners. Crypto literally pays you to learn about crypto. Okay. It pays politicians to advocate for crypto. It pays media companies to put crypto as the title, as the heading of their magazine cover, okay? Crypto has a built-in incentive mechanism to spread itself, to propagate itself. It's almost like a life form, okay? It's almost like an advanced intelligence that is working through the meme layer of humanity and propagating itself and spreading itself and has the ability to like, self-replicate and produce its own energy out of human resources. That's what's happening. And that's what I think is the story. It's like, oh, cool, The Economist released an NFT. Well, they release an NFT. They're going to make money on that. Other magazines will follow. They'll produce more articles about crypto, and it will escape into mainstream. That's really what's happening here, which I think is super cool. I think another illustration for what you're saying is that water flows downstream, and crypto is downstream. Therefore, water, which is society, is going to flow downstream to crypto. Now that we've discovered crypto, 
the natural incentives of everything is, is society just likes crypto. Once, once again, the bull, most bullish thing about crypto is to be understood. Once you understand it, you are trapped. It's a virus. It sucks you in. The Economist, it, it caught the crypto virus. It's all in. It's going to spread the crypto virus to all of its neighboring magazine companies. And then it's going to go from there. Absolutely. Uh, a lot of readers of The Economist, too, like in the traditional world, yep. institutional world. Uh, Jack Dorsey, he definitely has the crypto bug, but I wouldn't actually say a crypto. Specific strain, I just say Bitcoin. A specific strain of the crypto bug, yeah. Just Bitcoin, right? He's immune from all other um, crypto talk, I think. But he, Square is considering building a Bitcoin mining system, he says, that's based on custom silicon and open source for individuals and businesses worldwide. He has this Twitter thread about what Square is doing. And I think the net of this is basically like, hey, proof of work is centralized. I want to make it a bit more open source in efforts to make it less centralized. We're going to create some hardware in Square uh, to do this and some specifications for hardware to do this. So a noble you know, effort, I, I, I think, I guess. Um, I don't know though. It's just it's still proof of work, right? Is it, like, is it Square's core competency, which is payments of money, like, or is it something else? It's funny to me, just because I feel like Jack gets Bitcoin and then he just makes it a point just to fixate on Bitcoin. Right. When like, when is Square going to capitulate? Like Square, Square's being like Valve and being like right, the Steam really platform, yeah. right? I'm just like, guys, we have this whole DeFi thing. And if you're not careful, some other enterprising fintech is maybe, God, it, maybe it's PayPal. Maybe it's even Visa. I don't know. They're going to come and eat your lunch if you're just obsessing about like Bitcoin, Bitcoin mining, when there's this whole other experiment going on, which is uh, DeFi and Ethereum and like proof of stake. Like you could do Bitcoin, but like, why not also do these other things? I guess to be fair with Twitter, they are doing more with, with NFTs, but is Square missing the boat, David? They're, they're not, not yet. The NFT thing actually is not live. You know what is live? Bitcoin tipping. And also, yeah. who do you think want, like, what do you think the Twitter populace wants more? Verified NFTs or Bitcoin tipping? Like I said this last time. And also at the same time, when we said this like two or three rollups ago, the total volume transferred of Ether and stable coins is dwarfing all other value ever traded in the crypto world. And Square, you know what Square is doing? B building Bitcoin mining machines. It's so nonsensical. Square, you're a payments company. There's this brand new payments ecosystem. You can build a roll up for your payments and hook into DeFi. Why aren't you doing this? Why are you focused on Bitcoin mining? It you makes know, no sense. Even, I'm not even worried about it, David, because they'll just they'll just be fine, find out later and be late yeah. to the party. And yeah. like, it, it'll happen. It's just, you know, I guess, you know, some, some people have to, Okay. be dragged along kicking and screaming um speaking of which facebook <laughs> nah. i don't know if they're being dragged along uh kicking and streaming they're actually trying to lead the metaverse uh, they've just hired ten thousand workers in europe to build up the metaverse they're actually talking about david um renaming their company as well okay right. so they haven't announced the name yet but they announced their intent to rename Facebook must be because all of the negative PR that they've gotten recently. Um, and I, I would guess it would be something metaverse related. You have any thoughts on like new names for Facebook? Anything good coming to mind? God, it's, it's such a, no, I don't. And it's like such a f duct tape fix when like, you know what really needs a reorganization a is the complete internal structure and business model of Facebook. You can't just like slap on a new name. No. It's like, oh no, yeah, just all those old problems. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> Jesus. 
Yeah. Well, so I asked this uh, this question to Twitter. I was like, "What should the what do you, what should the new Facebook name uh, be?" I came up with the term Zuckthereum, which I thought was <laughs> yeah, somewhat clever. Other people said Socialverse, okay, mm-hmm. Faceverse, Zuckerverse, or my own personal favorite, Board Ants Politics Club. <laughs> That's the new name for Facebook. <laughs> So maybe some ideas there for uh, for Zuck and crew as you're thinking about this rebrand. Um, David, let's talk about this. Coinbase, they just released a digital asset policy, kind of uh, an alternative policy to all of the bad ones that seem to be floating around governments. What uh, what are they saying in this policy? Yeah, it's basically like a, a skeleton of a proposal. They're proposing this be the way that policy happens. And it's very logical, very clear, very straightforward. It makes a ton of sense. I like all of it. Basically, there are two big things. There's more details in here, but there are two big things is regulate digital assets under a different framework than all the previous assets of the world. Oh, not the ones from the 1940s? A right. different not, one? Not the ones that we decided with pen and paper. Like digital assets need a digital asset framework. So let's make that. That's their big thing. Uh, and then their other big thing is designate one regulating body for digital asset markets. Allocate one and they make cri- them a crypto czar, a crypto czar, a, a crypto regulator, not the SEC, not the CFTC, not the Treasury, not the IRS. Make the crypto regulatory body, uh, which just makes a ton of sense. Just, just pick one, just point to someone and pick one and tell them that they're the regulator so that we can just know that. Can we do the third thing, which is make sure that the new crypto czar is actually good? Remember we talked about that that guy in the White House, Carrie, Tim. Pick your battles, Ryan. Week. How much, how much <laughs> okay. you want to ask? <laughs> okay, pick any two of the right. three asks. Just allow All us right. to focus our lobbying to one direction. We'll start there. Start there. Good suggestions by Coinbase, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot more it, in here, so there's a link in the show notes if you want to read more. Yeah. Meanwhile, I think there's a there's a an attack kind of going on from regulators versus these uh, CFI centralized mm-hmm. uh, crypto bank lending companies. They're coming after, in particular, I believe. Uh, Celsius Network, and mm-hmm. also named just maybe Nexo. Nexo, yeah. Yeah. And the, the are... reason why we know that they're going after this, that, that actually wasn't public information. The uh, Office of the Attorney General of New York released these uh, documents that had redacted like names, so we actually, there was a privacy retained. But you know what they forgot to redact? The file name of the documents that they Oops. are showing. So, the, so, so we have in the top left corner of each document, Microsoft Word, Celsius letter, and then also Microsoft Word, Nexo letter. They just forgot, after doing all the redaction, they just forgot to clear out the names. These are, these are the people that are regulating digital assets, folks. There you go. Well, you know, you got to watch those uh, document names. They'll get you every time. You also have to watch uh, on calendars, David. It's like, make sure who you're sharing your calendar with, like some information <laughs> could get leaked. You ever done that? Uh, um, I did not know that that was a thing. Thank from you for experience, me okay? <laughs> from experience. Careful what you put on your calendar. Yeah. So, I mean, I think the the attack has, has kind of begun. A lot of these companies have um, raised some war chests, I'd say, lately. I, I can't recall. I seem to recall a recent Celsius raise. There's so many. But like BlockFi did recently as well. And so these companies are going to fight this. This is only in New York. The question is, does the contagion spread? Do other states join in this? My guess is you'll have some states, maybe like a state of Texas, certainly Wyoming, that will say, fine, New York doesn't want it, we'll take it, right? And that is the beautiful thing about, again, this game theory playing out and crypto winning in the end. So all the short-term stuff is uh, is fun. Also, I will say, like, there are some things regulators could do to help us with these CFI companies, right? Because this is not DeFi. We can't right-click open source and understand exactly 
uh, where our interest rate is coming from on Celsius or BlockFi or Nexo, right? We can do that in uh, in DeFi, but it's not DeFi. So where there's a trusted intermediary, there is some role for regulators to play. So let's be fair on that. Let's just not like shut things down. Let's without providing clarity. I mean, it's that's a great all we're it's asking. a great pairing. If centralized intermediary, then regulation, because that's what we need to be regulated, right? So it, it, those two things go hand in hand. What we get frustrated about is when there is no central intermediary, there's just this application and some people but that we are, pretend there is, but we pretend there is, and therefore we try and regulate it. That's where things get, get iffy. Help us, crypto czar. We know you're out there. <laughs> We'd, hopefully, maybe maybe a bankless listener is going to be the future crypto czar. Well, amazing. in Australia, they're doing some things right, though. Uh, it seems like, at least there's, I believe this was um, a report that uh, the Australian parliament has issued, and uh, they called for an overhaul of basically the reg- regulatory clarity with respect to crypto. Um, they called for new laws to govern DAOs, to centralize autonomous organizations, an overhaul of capital gains tax and DeFi, a tax discount when crypto miners are using renewable energy. I don't know if these ideas will actually be implemented, but this is what it looks like, folks. It's not that hard, right? The, the crypto industry is asking for some very simple things, you know, clarity above all, but like also some f- friendlier treatment of this industry as a whole, like make it a home. In, in your country, make, make the industry feel like you are welcoming it as you welcome the internet as a new technological innovation, all the people that support it. Hopefully, Australia is heading in that direction and providing an example to uh, to other Western con- countries. It's just very sensible uh, legislation here. Agreed. I, I want that for myself. You want in, that? In the United States. You Do know. you want to move to Australia? Is it mm, no, not really. Time zones are tough. Yeah. Yeah, great place with yeah. time zones, yeah. right? Um, poor Anthony Sasana. Yeah, poor, just, all the way over there. Yeah. Hey, he, he's on a lockdown as of today, so congratulations to him. That's great. That's good news. Uh, hey, talk about this. This is mm-hmm. happening in the financial sector in New York. What's this showing, this picture? Yeah, so not the first time that this has happened, but definitely the biggest statue to get dropped in, in front of the NYSE. There's this famous bull in front of the New York Stock Exchange. Uh, once upon a time, I think after the 2008 crisis, there was that that like, you know, five, six, seven-year-old statue of a girl who's like very defiantly putting her hands up on her hips against the bull. Kind of a, a, a statement against like the 1% versus the 99%. Um, now, there is this massive ape that got dropped right in front of this bull. So we have this bull and this ape just staring each other down. And in addition to that, a ton of bananas <laughs> got thrown around the bull. Uh, and so this was done, this is a tip of the hat to, for those that remember Harambe, the uh, the gorilla that unfortunately had a young child uh, fall into its pit. And the gorilla was like, you know, taking, uh, playing with a child, hanging out with a child, uh, a very, very fearful parents as this gorilla could absolutely just rip this child apart with one hand. Uh, and so Harambe was shot by shot dead by the caretakers so that the child wouldn't be killed. And there wouldn't be a bunch of like, you know, court lawsuits. Uh, and then this, uh, Harambe ape got just, you know, martyred by the internet and is now a beloved internet icon. And so this artist, came and made a Harambe statue and dropped it in front of Wall Street. But like there was no connection to like Wall Street bets or ape culture, but it's one of those things like not no official connection, but it's one of those things like they knew, they knew there, so there's perfect. now a massive I, ape in front of the I stock market. Just feel like this has just nailed the zeitgeist of the, mm-hmm. this new era that we've entered into, right? right? Like the, the stock market is, is neither bull nor bear. It's ape, ape. now, it's right? Ape. Mm-hmm. And it, 
and Rambe, like he was killed by the institutions, wasn't he? <laughs> right? Not doing anything wrong. Right. Okay. Just being be fun. Playing with a kid. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and inside of a zoo, like, right. what's the metaphor there? Like, captured, be in a cage, and just like trying to live his life. I don't know. There's there's metaphors on metaphors, and the fact that this is a stare down between the bull and the ape. I think, wow, this is how we're entering the 2020s, folks. Yep. This is what it is. This is the new era, ape and culture. it's just perfect. You know Ape how I, I, I keep on seeing, uh, saying that crypto is moving closer to society and society is moving closer to crypto. Well, if there's a goddamn ape in front of the stock market, that's a clear sign that society and crypto are coming closer and closer. It's just, and it's not like we're advocating like uh, ape culture and degeneracy here, right? We're just it's what saying the, like- It's what the monetary policy is incentivizing. You've made a mockery- Yeah, of, of your markets. Of your markets. You've made a mockery of it. Mm-hmm. central banks people in charge institutions mm-hmm. and so how can you expect us to take it seriously right like the whole meme stock phenomenon the whole gme phenomenon we could go on but this is brilliant i love this yeah. art anyway uh let's go through some quick hits david very we quick, gotta very quick. Here we go, go to takes okay the cboe acquires iris x so this is the uh cboe expanding iris x was a crypto derivatives market now they're getting a little bit bigger uh this is all very legal crypto and spot trade uh, crypto spot trading and derivatives uh and i guess the cboe is continuing to expand through these acquisitions Next up, What's we have next? Society Generale. We talked about them. They're the uh, bank, third largest bank in France that recently submitted a governance proposal to MakerDAO. They are shopping for a crypto custodian. So if you are a crypto custodian and you want to be bought by a big bank, uh, Society Generale, that you might uh, find love there. Yeah, <laughs> find love there. Wow. <laughs> it's like classified ads, I guess, for, uh, for, for uh, custodians. BlackRock CEO says there's huge opportunities in digital currency, particularly in this article. He meant kind of stable coins, other things, non-threatening things. But he's kind of in the Jamie Dimon camp of saying Bitcoin is useless. There's actually a quote in this article from Jamie Dimon that reminded me of where Jamie Dimon comments on um, Bitcoin. This is, of course, the JP Morgan CEO, he says this, makes no difference to me. I don't think you should smoke cigarettes either, but our clients are adults. They disagree. That's what makes markets. I love that he compares owning Bitcoin to smoking cigarettes. My God, one of those things gives you cancer. The other just gives you more money. (laughs) Jamie Diamond capitulating to the market. I guess. All right. What's next, David? Uh, Uniswap hires a former Obama spokesperson as head of communications and regulatory conversations around DeFi swirl in D.C., Interesting. Uniswap getting political as well. DeFi getting political. Mm -hmm. Axie is now a top 500 website in the U.S. Site ranked 476. Axie definitely going mainstream also with that global appeal. Guys, we will be right back with the takes of the week. These are some hot takes. And of course, the meme of the week, you won't want to miss it. But before we do, we want to thank the sponsors that made this episode possible. Arbitrum is an Ethereum scaling solution that's going to completely change how we use DeFi and NFTs. And now it's live and has over 100 projects deployed. Gas fees on Ethereum L1 suck. Too many people want to use Ethereum and it doesn't have enough capacity for all of us. And that's why teams like Arbitrum have been hard at work developing layer two solutions that makes transactions on Ethereum cheap and instant. Arbitrum increases Ethereum's throughput by orders of magnitude at a fraction of the cost of what we are used to paying. When interacting with Arbitrum, you can get the performance of a centralized exchange while tapping into Ethereum's level of security and decentralization. This is why people are calling this Ethereum's broadband moment, where we get to add performance onto decentralization and security. If you're a developer and you want to save on gas costs and overall make a better user experience, 
go to developers.offchainlabs.com to get started building on Arbitrum. And if you're a user, keep an eye out for your favorite DeFi apps being built on Arbitrum. Many DeFi applications on the Ethereum L1 are migrating over to layer twos like Arbitrum, and some are even skipping over the layer ones entirely and deploying directly on layer two. There's so many apps coming online to Arbitrum, so go to bridge.arbitrum.io now and start bridging over your ETH or any of the tokens listed and start having the DeFi or NFT experience that you've always wanted. Living a bankless life requires taking control over your own private keys, not your keys, not your crypto. That's why so many in the bankless nation already have their Ledger hardware wallet, which makes proper private key management a breeze. But the Ledger ecosystem is much more than just a secure hardware wallet. Ledger is the combination of the Ledger hardware wallet and the Ledger Live app. And if you're used to seeing all of your crypto services and favorite DeFi apps all in one spot, Ledger Live is where you want to be. Not only does Ledger let you buy your crypto assets straight from the app, but it also hooks into all of the DeFi apps and services that you're used to. Using Ledger Live, you can stake your ETH in Lido, swap on DEXs like Paraswap, or display your NFTs with Rainbow. You can also use Wallet Connect inside of Ledger Live to connect to all the other DeFi apps that keep coming online. DeFi never stops growing, and the Ledger Live app grows alongside with it. So click the link in the show notes to see all of the DeFi apps that Ledger Live has, and stay tuned as more apps come online. And if you don't have a Ledger hardware wallet, what are you even waiting for? Go to ledger.com, grab a ledger, download Ledger Live, and get all of your DeFi apps all in one space. All right, guys, we are back with the takes of the week. The first one from Medvan, he says this, today's NFTs are the cave paintings of the metaverse. I like that analogy, cave paintings of the metaverse Great very take. early on. Yeah, you think JPEGs, or excuse me, NFTs of the future are just going to be JPEGs? Think again. Think again. All right. These are just this cave painting times. We're going to we're gonna evolve from here. Uh, Medvan with another take. I bought my first Bitcoin on Coinbase in 2013. Many will buy their first NFT on it too. This goes back to the story we're talking about. This is uh, a mainstream moment, I think, for NFTs. And Coinbase is going to be right there helping to onboard the world. Matt, two for two with great takes. <laughs> Good job, Matt. Good week. Another NFT take. Why don't you read this one, David, from Adam Sachs? Yeah, th this was great. Uh, Adam Sachs says, look, NFTs are a scam, but websites that give you that get you to post your hard work for free in exchange for hearts and likes, that's the real stuff. It's yeah. <laughs> amazing. Yeah. What a great way to describe all of social media. Mm -hmm. We do all of this stuff for free, I suppose. We don't even own the property on top of it. We're just renting you ever think about that, David? Like your Twitter yeah. account is not Rented. your Twitter account. Rented, yeah. Something you're borrowing from yeah. uh, I'm Jack Dorsey. I'm making more and more valuable, although I don't have ownership over it. No equity, sir. It's no not equity even yours. in my Twitter account. You're just a renter. And Web2 social media are our landlords. Our um, serfs, yeah. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about this. Dow to Dow is going to be the new B2B. This is Anon intern, not going to make it. I can't. Uh, Dow to Dow. I can't hear like one time of a DAO spinning up without them being like, okay, here's our, here's, our, here's yeah. our token swap targets. Like I want to yeah. do a token swap at this DAO and that DAO and that DAO. And it just makes this mesh network of DAO alignment incentives. It makes it very like totally. hard to rip, right? When, uh, when yeah. bridges are built and they're built sturdily, it's, it's hard to rip that ecosystem. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Every DAO launches with like five or 10 like different partnerships basically, or mm -hmm. like, you know, that's the very first thing you do. And, and DAOs can't really work well with um, non-digital right. organizations e either. That just doesn't work. So talking about a new DAO economy, B2B, by the way, for folks who aren't familiar, that stands for business to business, which is a whole like industry subsector, of course. And now it's going to be DAO to DAO. These are the new 
capital formation uh, entities. David, here's a take from you. I'm, I'm going to read this one. Wait, read read the uh, first tweet first. Oh, really? I have to do. Okay. Yeah. What? Uh, this is from David Greider. Yeah, what we had him the, on the podcast once before. That's right, David. Hey, David. Hope you're listening. David says, what is the total addressable market for crypto? Uh, what if the total addressable market for crypto, rather, isn't digital gold or the internet sector? What uh, if it's all government spending? So he's saying, what if the total addressable market size is different? We always talk about like $8 trillion in gold. That's what Bitcoin's going to be worth. Mm-hmm. Or we, we compare it to the internet. And he's saying, what if it's all government spending? And then you replied and you said, I think TAM for crypto is just everything, to be honest. So what do you mean by this? Yeah, everyone loves to play that game. It's like, oh yeah, here's Bitcoin's valuation. It should be at least gold. Here's Ethereum's valuation. It should at least, at least be all the FANG stocks. Uh, like here's how much the government's in debt. Bitcoin should at least... Dude, the total addressable market for crypto is every financial asset that exists. We are going to consume everything. We are literally a better financial asset platform, exchange network than anything that's ever come before it. So if you don't think some any valuable asset isn't going to find a token on Ethereum to embody it, you're wrong. The, the, the total addressable market for crypto is everything that has value. Are you going to limit that just to the earth, David? Or you, would you expand that to the solar system, to the galaxy, to the multiverse? Are we talking the total addressable market size of like all of the possible universes in existence? Is that how big this is? I'm, I'm not an expert on interplanetary block production and propagation. <laughs> I don't know. Like it's, it's we eight run minutes. up against some speed of light yeah, issues. I it's, think. it's eight minutes to get to the moon. I don't know how fast an <laughs> Ethereum block can get there for na- actually make, make a network work. Uh-huh. But um once we solve that problem, yes. If once we solve that problem, yeah, then the value of the sun will be a token on Ethereum. Watch, watch for David's next piece on the total <laughs> addressable Ethereum as a settlement way, layer for the multiverse. <laughs> it's coming uh, inter- interplanetary settlement layer. <laughs> Absolutely. This is uh, Ryan Selkis's tweet. I love this one. He says, "We need a U.S. regulatory agency that will protect investors from the other U.S. regulatory agencies." A little snarky, kind of yeah. fun. Uh, uh, going back yeah. to how we want just. Say cryptos are just centralize all the regulatory energy into one place so we can just all focus that. there. I mean, that's what Coinbase says, but what if we don't like the person? What if we don't like the guys doing that? Then we can all yell at him collectively rather than having to split our energies between Warren, Protest. Yellen, Gensler. Like, no, it's just make exhausting. one person that we get to be the person to yell at. Apply pressure. Yeah. But ideally, it's that number three. It's somebody who's good. Yeah. Back to that, True. hopefully. We'll see where we get. Okay, those guys, those are the takes uh, for the week. Or do we have another? No, next oh, we have it. memes. But before we do, ta- uh, what are you excited about, David? What are you excited about? Uh, I, I think that this uh, whole Wu-Tang album thing, I think is just such a great microcosm of what I want to see happen moving forward. I want to see DAOs make a bunch of PR statements and be our PR moves that get picked up and reported on that are in direct opposition, in direct contrast. It's like to positive? Po- yeah, positive contrast the, to the to the rest of the world, right? Like the opposite of the, the parasite guy. That's an analogy in that, like the, the parasite guy who jacked up the um, price of EpiPens, right? Exactly. It's terrible PR right. for Wall Street, for mm-hmm. you know hedge fund managers and big finance Makes guys. Makes people hate them. 
You want the opposite of that to right. happen. Right. They're like, no, I want a DAO to, to distribute ownership of this prized cultural artifact that is like a meme about how it's a walled garden and break down those walls and share it with everyone. Share the culture, share the value. The way that, the, and this is how I think crypto is going to mainstream itself in terms of cultural acceptance is that we fix all of the problems that society has story by story. There's a meme that we ran about a number of rollups ago. It was like, uh, ex like a broken existential crisis about the future of the world. There was a big crack in the asphalt and there was a Band-Aid uh, spanning the crack and the Band-Aid was labeled a Dow with the homies, right? <laughs> like we have the answers and we just need these stories to propagate through the rest of the world to show the world that, hey, we can fix stuff here in crypto. Crypto is here to help you live your life. Uh, and I think this is the first story of many. I kind of see, uh, and specifically with Pleaser DAO, but also with these cultural artifacts, it's like crypto is building this arc and DAOs are going to like buy up all the cultural icons, all the cultural stories and get them on the arc to make them part of the digital world. I think that's gonna be kind of cool. Do you know what's so, so interesting about that, that hope and that aspiration though, is it depends so much on the layer zero, which is the people layer. Okay, mm -hmm. right, because um, some people can be assholes, right? And some people are not. Some people are good people. They, you know, see um, pie expanding things. They are altruistic, right? And so our layer zero has to be awesome. It can't be full of like Wall Street assholes. I'm not saying all, you know, Wall Street people are assholes. I'm saying that there are many assholes on Tends Wall Street. Tends for them. Okay, so... How do we prevent that? Because there are a lot of, you know, parasi parasitic individuals who've come to crypto and are looking to scam individuals. We, we see very much this countervailing force of individuals who are here for the long term, but like it's not a given. I mean, crypto could become at the layer zero just as toxic as, you know, organizations and, ent and entities that have atrophied in the real world. And like, that's why our layer zero is incredibly important to protect. Like we have to create a culture of like doing good for the world if we want this industry to be successful and sustaining for like for generations. And it's not a given, like we actively have to make that choice, I think. Uh, yeah. What's your thought? What's oh, your take I on have that? a ton of thoughts on that. And this is actually kind of like uh, one of the subjects of, of one of the articles I'm trying to write. We have this open, public, transparent ledger and that transparency, because everyone can see everyone else doing stuff, that transparency, in my mind, actually incentivizes open, collaborative, transparent nature in the society that arounds these things, right? Uh, because we incentivize collaboration, collaboration on chain, uh, you know, money Legos, we incentivize collaboration off chain in the layer zero. And so there's this culture, at least in the Ethereum world, there's this culture of, of like everyone checking on everyone else to make sure that everyone else is being good. It's like, we're making, we're a society around Ethereum is a collaborative society. And, and when somebody does something wrong that we don't like, everyone acknowledges that and knows that. And it's like a, it's a, it's a social checking system, social collateral, social clout. Uh, and we have this society that is like trying to guide people into this positive sun, some collaborative, like honorable, like society around Ethereum. And I, I think the nature of a transparent blockchain actually incentivizes that. Well, to the extent we are able to do that, I think we will create a lasting movement that is uh, that is good for the world. So uh, let's hope. And that's definitely why we're here, um, for sure. And I know many Bankless listeners are here for those reasons as well. Absolutely. Ryan, what are you excited about? 
I'm just going to say all time high, man. Feeling good. What a great week, right? It was I feel a great like, week. It was a great week. I feel like, um, you know, this time uh, ETH has earned it, right? I, 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 I felt in 2017 like something was off. It felt very bubbly. Like there wasn't a lot of substance behind what was going on, right? There was definitely something. There was a, a vision and a promise and a hope, but there wasn't substance. This time we have substance. Uh, the, the 2021 bull run has been just, you know, phenomenal. Um, I think it's, you know, going to continue in the future. One of the last things I'll say, and you know, what I'm excited about this week is actually after our conversation that we recorded this week with Eric Peters, new podcast, by the way, comes out on Monday, um, for podcast listeners. This is with, um, a guy who made the, the largest institutional purchase, of Bitcoin and Ether in 2020. So this is kind of a traditional hedge fund. And he really um, set all of my worries about regulators and nation state destroying crypto to rest. Uh, So tune into that episode to to hear exactly why, but just with a very pragmatic approach. I think from time to time in my crypto journey, I've always been worried like, oh, you know, are the regulators going to come squash this thing? Is the nation state going to like disallow it are they going to ban it and um eric doesn't think that's very likely in fact he thinks that there are a number of escape hatches that like prevent that from being the case so i i I guess what i'm saying is um i'm feeling good all-time high everyone enjoy the bull run it's gonna be fine it's gonna be fun uh, we'll probably get more regulatory FUD, other sorts of you know FUD that's coming in the future that's fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Don't worry about this. Think about the long term. In the long run, I've never been more bullish and I've never um, felt more that crypto is uh, completely inevitable. So that's what I'm excited about this week, man. Yeah, this will be the second time I reviews the water flows downstream metaphor. Like the regulators are just trying to stop water flowing downstream. Eventually, water finds its way around the dam. Like it'll get around it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, David, meme of the week time. We got it's two a, hot ones this week. Two, oh, two hot memes. Let's do this God, one. I love this. Spoil our okay. listeners. Yeah. <laughs> well, you, I th- I feel spoiled by this meme. Why don't you uh, talk about it? Okay, so this meme went was just went around the whole world. I had like three of my friends uh, show me this meme on Instagram. That's how I know it's a, it's a big deal because all my normie friends sent it to me. So this is um, Frodo uh, leaning over Gollum's shoulder while Gollum sits at a computer, looking at a picture of the ring, the the Lord of the Rings ring. And uh, Frodo, ring. Frodo says to Gollum, you can't own the precious physically, but you can pay to have your name listed as its owner in an <laughs> online distributed database. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! Now do that in a Gollum a voice, on, David. It's definitely a knock on NFTs, but I think it's in in jovial jest. It's totally hilarious, and Gollum's got this like incredulous look on his face. Um, yeah, he just doesn't quite get it, but he's doing it anyways, and doesn't know why. Do you have a Gollum voice? I want you to do this. In I do Gollum not have voice, a Gollum David. voice. I you do don't? not. Okay. <laughs> do that. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna show my Gollum voice. I do have one, but oh. you know that's for another podcast. Wow. Not not a crypto Rugged. podcast. Okay? Rugged by Ryan. Yeah. Next time, again. maybe. Uh, all right. This meme number is the second two. Meme, meme number two. Yeah. What's this? What are we looking at? Okay. So this is that meme that's going around where there's like an iconic figure and it, it ends in like, or really, really long. I really, I don't get why, but like this one is the tax optimizer. And there's a bunch of just like, like attributes. things, attribute characteristics of the tax optimizer prefers selling at a loss. No taxable gains. Thinks the tax rate is a hundred percent. Did you hold that for 12 months? 
For long-term gains, only takes profits to pay taxes. Uh, always says the words, just wait for taxes. Wants to set you up with their accountant. You should have seen the taxes I paid in 2017. Um, you know, that's a taxable event, right? Just a bunch of behaviors that like, there are certain uh, people uh, out there. Yeah, you guys might might know one. He's on this podcast right now. <laughs> that, okay, that, I'm feeling... Come on, man. I am feeling attacked right now, okay, by the tact optimizer meme. Because this guy looks a lot like me, number one. And these attributes sound super familiar familiar in the way I think sometimes. But uh yeah, look, I, I think these memes are hilarious because they kind of um characterize individuals and like the tendency to go overboard on something, right? In a in a like in a in a playful, fun way. Um and like I have definitely fallen prey to being like the tax optimizer, but like there, there's another trap I think, which is like the crypto dude that never thinks about taxes right. and doesn't even factor that into any equation whatsoever, right? And I'm, I'm always like to that person, I want to say like, oh, are you like not going to like live in your in your country anymore? Right. Are you going to like be a fugitive in the in like in the nation that you see then? If you don't want those things, mm. don't piss off the IRS. Like, pay your taxes, right? Certainly. Uh, but there is truth in that you can't let it affect the way you, like, trade and make decisions. And if you over-index on that and just care about, like, you know, taxes and optimizing those things, you're going to miss out on opportunities. And when I've made mistakes, I've probably done that before. Yeah. I do have to say I'm definitely on the opposite side of the spectrum than Ryan is. And that is why I pay someone else to care about my taxes <laughs> for me. So if you are the opposite of what Ryan is, uh, but you also don't want to go to jail and you know that you're somebody that is not a tax optimizer, uh, go find someone and pay them to care for you. That's, that's, that's my alpha there. In the words of the tax op- optimizer then, David, I want to set you up with my accountant, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Can I help with that? <laughs> All right, we got it. See, it is me. It is me. (laughs) Guys, none of this has been tax advice. God knows it wasn't financial advice either. ETH is risky. Bitcoin is risky. All of DeFi is risky. You could lose what you put in, but we are headed west. This is the frontier. It's not for everyone, but thanks for joining us on The Bankless Journey.